What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It's Friday, February 3rd. I'm Juanita Tolliver, and this is What A Day. This Black History Month, the What A Day team is excited to bring you stories about Black history that are happening in real time, and we're excited to kick things off with a conversation about the Netflix documentary Descendant. This film outlines the search and discovery of the Clotilda, the last known ship to arrive in the United States illegally carrying enslaved Africans. After a century of secrecy and speculation, the 2019 discovery of the ship turns attention toward the descendant community of Africatown in Mobile, Alabama, and presents a moving portrait of a community actively grappling with and fighting to preserve their heritage while examining what justice looks like today. The film won a special jury prize at the 2022 Sundance Film Festival, and I had an opportunity to speak with two Clotilda descendants. Take a listen to our conversation. So today I'm joined by Vita Tunstall, a Clotilda descendant, and Emmett Lewis, a direct descendant of Kajo Kazula Lewis, the last known survivor of the Clotilda. Emmett and Vita, welcome to What A Day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, y'all. So I have watched Descendant a few times now, and every single time I watch it, I'm struck by the fact that this is the first time that a lot of us in the audience are witnessing Black history being uncovered in real time. And and that's even though this story was passed down through your families, through the Africatown community for what, more than 160 years? And so can you tell me what it felt like filming this documentary, but also witnessing the world learn about this piece of Black history for the first time? Vita, why don't you start us off? The filming was, it didn't really feel like I was doing anything. We were just talking with Margaret and it just felt so organic and casual. So there was nothing special about filming, but the way the world is receiving this film Mm. has blown my mind. What about you, Emmett? In the beginning, it was like that little fear of telling your family story to the wrong person. So, you know, I had that little fear of just speaking out on my family story, not because I felt like it would get in the wrong hands, but more along was that was my goal. That was my treasure. Like, that's what's me. So I didn't want to tell that story. But like I tell everybody, I was fortunate enough to you know, meet Margaret and Margaret was one of those people that make you feel like a friend instead of a person that she interviewing. Right. And Vito, when you talk about the world receiving it, I know what my response has been. I told you before we started recording, count me as one of the impacted individuals. What are some of the big moments that you recall as you have been talking to more and more people about this that really stuck with you? The most common thing I hear is thank you for telling your story. People come to us after a screening and they're like, thank you so much. So many people are not able to know where their family came from. And it's like they join us in this. So I'm thankful that we know it and that I feel almost guilty sometimes that we are 
able to know where we came from. And so many people who look like us aren't, Mm. but people are so thankful. That's the common theme is thank you. Right. And Emmett, you talked about the fear of telling the story and let's be real, the threats that the people of Africatown had over their heads in Alabama since they were dropped off on the shores has been a constant undercurrent, the threat of violence, the threat of lynching. But we know that your ancestor, Kajo, spoke to Zora Neale Hurston about his experiences in 1927. Tell me about the bravery and risk that Kajo took in even speaking to Zora, but also the way that you were introduced to Kajo's story. What I think was brave about Kajo, like, it's just him being himself. And if you pay attention to the book, like Zoria said, that it took her a while before Kudjo talked to her. And she brought gifts. She brought watermelon. She brought peaches. She brought a lot to coax that out of him, right? Yes. And that's more along like with the same thing what I say. It's just the fact of telling someone about yourself and knowing everything that you go through in your life. Like you're not doing it for recognition. You're not doing it to gain anything besides helping your people or making sure that your people survive even after you. So that was mostly, you know, what I picked up from Kudjo while I was young. Like I said, I got my story from my father. I got my story in the graveyard. I got, Mm -hmm. you know, I got my story just sitting around talking to my father. So I connected more with Kudjo because my father always told me I was a leader. Always told me I was a warrior. Always told me I had warrior blood. With hearing all of that and then hearing the story of Kudjo and hearing how his people chose him to be a leader, that made me want to submit myself more to trying to be like my ancestors. Right. And you talk about the graveyard. I'm a scared girl. Like I'm scared of ghosts. But one thing you said in the documentary that stuck with me was like, no, you should always be able to talk to your ancestors. Right. Like that was a constant theme through this entire project. Yes. I never felt alone. And I always felt like if I needed anyone to talk to that, I didn't want an opinion or I didn't want any judgment. Go to the graveyard. And I know a lot of people laugh when I say it, but it's sort of similar to that Lion King story, like just symbol looking into the clouds at the kings before him. That's how it feels for me. <laughs> That's not funny at all. That's the realest part of this. Yeah. The other real thing, just to paint a picture for our listeners, Africatown was a thriving community built by Black people who knew more about being free than enslaved. And Vita, can you describe Africatown of the past compared to the experience now in Africatown when we know the injustice environmentally with the industries that have moved into the community and taken over some of this historic land. Yeah. Africatown, it was a whole community. It had everything it needed. It had a doctor's office. It had barber shops and grocery stores and schools and churches and everything a community needed. It was self-sustaining and it was self-governed until it was incorporated into the city of Mobile, I believe in the 50s or Mm. 60s, in the 1950s or 60s. So this is very recent history, but the violence takes a different form. You've heard the pen is mightier than the sword. So right now we got people down at city hall with the pen and that's where the violence takes place. We have all this industry that surrounds the community that is steadily encroaching. Like you can feel it going inward Mm. and just making the community smaller and smaller. There are not as many houses as there used to be. And also that the mayor family, you know, our ancestors and slavers also still own land in Africatown. And they also lease it to some of this industry that's polluting the community and is growing. But even when land becomes available, then you have to be concerned about what it's zoned as. Right. Because in order for the community to grow, you know, we want to see houses there. I want to see people live there again. 
I always say my ancestors did not found a tourist destination. They founded a residential community. A self-sufficient residential community. Yes. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into bringing this community back and it's little bitty steps, little bitty steps. Right. And I got to confess, as the documentary progress and we get to the part where the Clotilda is found and they present the community with even a rendering of the conditions on the ship. I had a lot of emotions. Like I was feeling so much because I think those emotions were compounded by the fact that a lot of the white local leaders or reporters or representatives from National Geographic even were excited and had this glee in their voice. And it seemed misplaced and detached and disconnected from the humanity of the Africans who were kidnapped and enslaved and brutalized through this process. Emmett, what were your reactions as this new physical piece of black history was found? Uh, B, you know how I am, so. <laughs> Let it out, it's a safe Damn. space, Emmett, Damn. say it. It's a okay. safe space. So when I first came aboard on the film, that was the major question was about that ship. And after I said that I would like to go touch the ship and feel what my ancestors felt, right. I said right after that, the ship still didn't matter to me. I said it was only the fact of being able to touch something that my ancestors touched. That was my only concern about it. Now, right, right now, it feels like we were shot with a gun and the people are worshiping the gun instead of thinking about the victim. Mm. I think that part is what is getting at me because... Like you said, the connection of where your ancestors were, feeling it, seeing it, it was important, but it should not be the focal point. And the other thing I recognized from that moment, Vita, was that you had a very different reaction from your mother. So I feel like there's some generational pieces here because I think at one of the community celebrations, your mom, Vita, she said, quote, I feel completion and that healing has begun. And I was like, hold up. Right. Like and then you came through, Vita, with your reaction. Talk me through your reaction to the Clotilda being found and why you think you and your mother had very different responses. When I saw that, yeah. I saw my grandparents, you know, like grandparents that I know. I basically right. could see those grandparents in that position in the hold of that ship. And I lost it. Now, these are my third great grandparents who were depicted on that ship. OK, so it really struck me. Like you said, there was the glee. Like this is a story to a lot of people, but it's not a story to us. This is our history. So to get to my mother. <laughs> oh, she said heavy <laughs> sigh. Oh, I'm with you. <laughs> At the community center, when we, when they unveiled that depiction of the Clotilda, when we sat in that meeting, I saw all the politicians who were there and who don't show up unless there are cameras out there. So that was a big deal when the ship was found. Everybody, you know, wanted to be there. So when I was sitting there, I could literally feel the energy and I could tell who was who and what people's intentions were. So my mother is the forever optimist and she believes in all the good in people and everybody has potential to be good. I believe that too, to a certain extent. But in that moment, that's not what I was feeling. So I was feeling who's here to benefit and who's here to profit and how we fit into that. And that's when I said, I feel like we're a part of it. I don't want us to be a part of it. I don't want us to be along for the ride. So my mother doesn't quite see it like that. She's a little bit more agreeable right. than I am. <laughs> no, and I appreciate your candor about that. And the reminder that this ain't just about the ship, right? Like it's also about the Mayor family. We have a lot more to cover in this conversation and we'll be right back after this ad. 
Well, today is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific you get flowers you're getting flowers everyone's (laughs) getting flowers go to books.com and use promo code wad for 25 percent off that is b-o-u-q-s.com promo code wad books promo code wad what a day is brought to you by fast growing trees fast growing trees is the biggest online nursery in the u.s with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love Fast Growing Trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash WAD. One thing I appreciated was that Kamal Siddiqui, the founder of Diving with a Purpose, the Smithsonian Institution's marine archaeologist from the Slave Rex Project, he was explicitly clear and said, you all, the descendants have to define justice. So I want to hear from both of you. What has your community come up with so far? Emmett, kick us off. Ooh, you will ask me first. I'm, I'm just a community member. Like I tell everybody, I'm just a community member that's not afraid to speak out about my past. So when it comes to What's going on now is more along of still at the starting line for me. A lot of people can say they see progress, but I don't see the progress in the areas that I would like to see it. And maybe they're selfish, but this is my community. I feel what I feel. And I don't want Africatown to turn into a tourist attraction. I don't want Africatown to turn into a museum. I'm not saying that we can't benefit from tourism. I'm not saying that we can't benefit from museums or any of that. But the first thing people have to understand is this is a community, a still 
thriving community. We are not, right. we're not as successful as we used to be, but we are still here. We still surviving. So when you come down here with tourism, understand that you're not riding through a abandoned neighborhood. You're not r- riding through a museum or a safari. We're not animals. We're not a zoo. Right. You're parking in front of our houses while we're outside in our boxes and tanks, I was uh, checking the mailbox. So <laughs> just living life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's becoming to the point where we have people in this community that's being afraid. And I'm like one of the few, as they say, powerful voices from out here. So I get all of that coming to me on a daily anytime because my house is right here in the center of the plateau. And these are people that are everyday normal people that don't feel like they have the power to go to the politicians. They don't have the power to just speak out. And even in that sense, when I get overwhelmed with the politician side of it, that's why I have B. So Mm. that's why I kind of laugh when you said you would start off with me because B answered those questions better than me. (laughs) I discussed everything with B. Me and her, we make sure we're on the same page. So let's talk through this tag team from your side, Vita. Like, I, I know that Emmett, clearly, you are explicitly clear in what you want in your definition of progress. Vita, how do you square that with your own perspective, but also presenting that to the powers that be, for lack of a better term? Yeah. And Emmett does not give himself enough credit. Um Right. Because I'm like, don't downplay anything you just said, friend. I get it. And, you know, the only thing that happens is Emmett and I just feel the same about a lot of things. And that's why it's so easy for us to talk, because we definitely will tag team and we agree on what we want to see the community where we want to see tourism go or not go. You know, whatever the case is, we have very, very similar views on that. Now, as far as justice goes, I don't know that there is justice. I still believe that because the people who did this, the mayor family, Timothy Mayer, a few generations ago, he's not here. So we can't punish him. You know, the current mayors, I don't feel like punishing them or not punishing them or making them pay. I don't feel like that's really justice. Mm. So for me, I feel at this point, I feel like it's moving on. Interesting. It's not really let bygones be bygones or anything. Timothy Mayer is not off the hook. Like his name is forever going to be mud. But this always leads into a reparations conversation. And I don't know the answer to the reparations question. Right. There are a couple of other moments in this documentary that I have to ask y'all about. Emmett, one of them was explicitly an interaction you had with a random white guy who walked into the graveyard while you were standing at Kajo's plot. And he asked you a couple questions at the end of the conversation. He was like, okay, cool. And walked off. And I was like, that's how you're engaging with this history. That's how you're engaging with a direct descendant. Like, Tell me about how you experience that interaction and what you actually want people to experience when they engage with your family's history. With that experience, it showed me exactly what has been done throughout the years with this story is you can catch a few people that they're interested. They're like, oh, okay, this Mm. this is a story about this. And then they go get the story however way they get it. And like you said, we had a conversation. The conversation was actually longer than what was recorded. Of course. But tone of that conversation, it was exactly how it was in the movie. That's just how that conversation went. It was no deeper than that. 
So after just talking to the guy and listening to him, I was expecting some deeper questions or something more. Something. Yeah, something more along the side of any intentions of what he had. But instead, I just got a few pictures taken of Kudjo's grave. And he proved to me that no matter how big the story is, that people are still going to look at it, get what they want out of it, and keep moving forward. Not worry about anything else concerning the story once I walk off from it. Right. I do think that uh, storytelling, though, was the undercurrent for me. Mm -hmm. Watching this, speaking to you two today, and it was the undercurrent to keeping the history alive for the 160 plus years that we didn't know about it until 2018 with Barracoon being published is also key to the history of your family. So can you both tell me about how you plan to keep telling the story and more so how you plan to protect the history? Well, uh, for me, I look at things a little differently. Like I said, my father is my biggest inspiration. That's my God. That's who I look up to. That's my superhero, my Batman. So, you know, before my father died, he tried to teach me everything that he felt you should teach a man. But all that I got out of it was being a great father. So with that being said, I'm blessed with having three little girls and I finally had my little boy, my junior. And I am blessed to have girls that love to hear me talk. I plan on keeping the story going by upholding the traditions that I felt my father had. I'm going to keep teaching my kids. I'm going to try to explain to them to the best of my ability of what their ancestors mean. But like I tell everybody, you're going to gather your own feelings and your own thoughts of your ancestors. Like I look at my ancestors as how I look at my father. So that's why I look at them so strongly. And I can only hope that with me teaching my kids this, that they can look at it the same way I did. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, my mother, like Emmett talks about talking to the ancestors and my mother has done that in a different way. It's just something I always grew up with. My daughter passed away six years ago. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. I don't know if that makes her an ancestor now, but very connected to my daughter. My son is now very interested in everything there is to learn. So I'm continuing to pass it on to him and everything I learn, I'm teaching him. But that's just how we're keeping the history alive. It's just continuing to talk. It's the same way your ancestors did it for 160 years. It seems tried and true at this point. And I'm just so grateful again for your time, for your candor, your honesty, your realness, (laughs) like will never be forgotten. Thank you again for sharing your history with me and with our listeners. And thanks for joining What A Day. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having us. That was my conversation with Vita Tunstall and Emmett Lewis. Clotilda Descendants and featured voices in the Netflix documentary Descendant. To learn more and to support this work, visit DescendantFilm.com and watch the film on Netflix. That's all for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Today is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Jazzy Marine and Raven Yamamoto are our associate producers. Our head writer is Jossie Kaufman, and our executive producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. 
It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. With my busy life, I use shipped same-day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the bag. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at shipped.com.